You're listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast, your number one source for discussions about the Vols and Lady Vols basketball programs. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We're also on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. Now, get ready for a new episode of Vol Basketball Fever. Hello, everyone, and welcome in to another episode of the Vault Basketball Fever Podcast. I am Nathaniel Rutherford, joined by Gene Henley here for a, a Gene, what's going to be a jam-packed episode. We're in uh, mid-April, and there are no shortage of topics to talk about uh, thanks to transfers and recruiting. So it's going to be a busy, you know, April is kind of the, it used to be the dead time or kind of downtime of basketball after the championship game. Uh, not anymore. Now we've got all kinds of recruiting and transfer stuff to talk about in April and even into May at this point. Even last year, uh, April and May both were pretty busy times for Tennessee on the recruiting front and the transfer front. So I'll talk about that in just a second. I do want to thank all of you all for tuning in, whether you're listening on your podcast app of choice or you're watching on YouTube. Thank you all so much. If you are on YouTube, please give this video a like. We would really appreciate that. And share your comments down below. Love to hear your thoughts on everything we're going to cover because we're going to cover uh, Josiah Jordan James cryptic tweet. We're going to cover Brandon Huntley Hatfield and also kind of t- look at, you know, now that Tennessee has another roster spot open, kind of what the the plan may be and, and who Tennessee's pursuing there. So I uh, got a lot to, to talk about. So please share your comments down below on the video. If you're not listening, if you're not watching on YouTube and still want to chime in, uh, if you have a Twitter, go check out. I started a communities thing on there. There's a new feature on Twitter that is a, a communities feature that has like specific kind of segmented, it basically kind of segments out Twitter to where, you know, if you want to talk about a specific subject, you don't have to blast it out to everybody on your timeline. You can actually join a community on there and talk about it specifically on there. So I, I created a Vol basketball fever uh, community on there to talk about Vols and Lady Vols basketball. So uh, go check it out. I tweeted about it for my account, but I may go back and uh, tweet it again and, and pin a tweet or pin the tweet to my profile. Uh, but if you just go to the communities tab, if you have that available on your Twitter profile, some people I still don't think has rolled out for, um, if you just search fall basketball fever, it'll pop up for you. But I'll, I'll, again, I may tweet it out from my personal handle, which is Mr. Underscore Rutherford and pin it to there as well. Well, Gene, before we get into the, uh, I had the meat of the podcast. I do want to mention something that became a, <laughs> became a little bit of a, a I guess a, a story slash a, a freak out moment, uh, on what was it? Tuesday night, my, my days are running together. I was, we, we would have recorded this on Tuesday, but I was sick uh, starting Monday afternoon and all day Tuesday. So uh, due to illness, did not record until Wednesday afternoon, or I guess early Wednesday evening, however you want to classify this time, Gene. But the big story or a big, again, freak out moment that happened on Tuesday night was um, a tweet, surprise, surprise, by Josiah Jordan James. I'm going to pull up the exact tweet because now I have forgotten the exact wording, but it was during the Tennessee's baseball game, which I think people thought maybe it was about the Tennessee baseball game. My only pushback against that was I'm pretty sure it happened like in the fifth or sixth inning when the game wasn't decided at that point. Of course, Tennessee ended up losing Tennessee Tech. Um, unfortunately for Tennessee, ending the winning streak. But he tweeted out Josiah Jordan-James at... 7:55 p.m., which the game baseball game didn't end until about uh 9:45 maybe, so almost 2 hours before the game was over, so that kind of gives you a timeline of when it was. Uh tweeted out, "Don't cry because it's over, smile because it happened." With an orange heart emoji. That was the thing that I think people were getting hung up on. If if he just tweeted that out, I think people were like, "Eh, that could mean anything." You know, it doesn't know don't know what you're, you're talking about. 
but the orange heart emoji, I think, is what kind of made people worry a little bit. Uh, and people were saying, oh, gosh, is he is he leaving? Is he going to declare for the draft? He's not coming back. But, Gene, from what we've seen, main people out there, like, saw Austin Price tweet about it. Grant Ramey, I think, said something about it, too. It doesn't seem like anything is coming from this. It doesn't seem like that was a, a cryptic message from Josiah to, that he's leaving UT. And you and I were talking before we started recording here. That also would be like a complete 180 of the type of personality that I think Josiah has. I, I, he's not a, a cryptic tweeter when it comes to, he's not, you know, for lack of a better example, he's not Brian Maurer. <laughs> he's not, he's not subtweeting his feelings and, and putting announcements out there with a, a cryptic tweet. Like it just doesn't seem like him. So I, w- I the orange heart kind of threw me a little bit when I first saw it, like when it happened on Tuesday night, but I gotta be honest with you. I, I was thinking there's a very low chance. This was his way of saying like, goodbye to Vol Nation. So I, I want to talk about just briefly because that was a big thing that happened and it revolves Tennessee basketball. But Josiah, I think like 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 Santi is going to test the waters of the NBA, but I think both guys are, are going to be back next year. Yeah, no doubt. And yeah, it, it just, he, he's never really come across to me as the type of person who craves attention. That's not how he operates. It's not how he's wired. Uh, Josiah, obviously, so I'm speaking about here. And, you know, I, it didn't really come to my attention until, like, this afternoon, uh, the tweet. And, again, I didn't know the time frame element of it, mm-hmm. but it does seem like it's, it does seem as though it's more of a it, – it's something – it doesn't pertain to basketball. We'll say that much. It doesn't pertain to basketball. And I, I think that's – because, again, like, I think sometimes you just have to ask, like, from a logical perspective, like, who does this, like, what is the most logical move? And I don't think there's one specifically that pops out unless, except for him to come back. Now, if he chooses to, you know, if he chooses to, you know, weigh his options or whatnot, then so be it. But I don't feel like there's a, I don't feel like there's, like, one specific place for him to go next season that makes it that you know that is better than the one that he currently has, especially when you factor in the NIL money. If you look at what happened with Armando, um, uh, yeah, Baycott, Baycott, mm-hmm. Carolina got a nice little deal. Who's getting you know who's going to be paid a nice amount of money to stay in college? Uh, that's the benefit of NIL is you know if kids who are kind of on the fence if they don't get a first round grade you know, for the NBA, then they don't really want to do the professional route and they have to go overseas and whatnot, then they can go back to their school. And, you know, at these, some of these larger programming, your power five, power sixes, you know, Tennessee's Carolinas of the world, there's a lot of money to be made just possible. Cause now let's, let's be honest. Like Josiah is the face of this program. Um, hmm. And that matters. If you want to think about it, like who, you know, Josiah is, you know, Josiah is the face of the program because it was Fulkerson. Uh, it's been Fulkerson for about the past three years. Before that, before then, it was obviously Admiral and Grant. Um, like, and it's not to say that there are better players. There aren't, I mean, that, that Josiah is the best player, but that's not always the answer as to who the face of the team is, who the heartbeat of the team is. Like, that's Josiah. And it behooves him to stay right where he is. You know, I think it was the great philosopher Jeremy Pruitt that said, 
um, bloom where, you know, grow where your feet are planted. And, you know, ever since the great philosopher Jeremy Pruitt made that comment, it stuck with me for the rest of my life, and it will. Uh, but, um, but yeah, I, I don't think, I don't take that to mean anything. I mean, obviously the kid loves it in Knoxville. He's been through a lot. He's overcome a lot. If you just look at just what this last, this last season's become for him. And he's going to have more opportunity to grow at, over the next year or so, however much longer he stays. Cause I believe he has two years left. Yep. <clears throat> yeah. If he wants the COVID year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. If he wants the COVID year. So he's still got a couple of years to kind of figure some stuff out. And I think that would be positive him to, you know, fully take advantage of your college experience because once you get past college, it gets rough out here. Yeah. Those are good points. I think a, a follow-up I would, I would love in a future off-season podcast to talk about the face of Tennessee basketball for this season, because I, I, I think you're right about being Josiah, but I'd be interesting to, interested to hear our, our listeners thoughts and maybe run a poll of who they think it is. Cause I think there'd be a, a considerable amount who would vote for, even though he's just going to be a sophomore vote for Ziegler or maybe even Vescovy. So I think that's a good, that's a good point by Eugene though. I, I think it's Josiah as well, but I think that's a, a good one to talk about maybe in May or June of, of who is the face of this team and sh- just kind of get a, a, a check, a vi- I guess of a vibe check or so from uh, our listeners on that one. Uh, but let's get to the meat of this because since we last spoke, we talked about there being a, probably at least one more transfer. And since we last recorded Gene, there's been two. Uh, first one wasn't, uh, I would say not really a surprise. It was Quentin DeBonje. Uh, he ended up following Michael Schwartz over to ECU, and, and Schwartz had a big hand in the international recruiting for Tennessee over the last few years. And he, I think he was uh, Quentin's main recruiter uh, for Tennessee. So again, doesn't make doesn't make a lot of of, of you know it doesn't surprise me. I guess that he's transferring there because he did not really play a whole lot this year. He flashed some potential in, in the minutes he played, but he he played in a small handful of games this year. Uh, he was going to be kind of buried behind the depth chart again this season and you look at kind of what Tennessee how they've been recruiting in the backcourt and there's maybe a path to playing time the following year but even then it was I mean it, it depended on what Josiah did and if he came back for another year or not too again would Quentin have a whole lot of playing time in his third year at Tennessee so I, I understand him moving on to go to ECU to go to the coach he you know really liked and had a relationship with uh, really strongly with uh, Schwartz and go to a program where you're, he's going to have playing time for sure. I would imagine as long as he's good enough uh, over ECU, but the big one that's obviously garnered the most discussion uh, for a lot of reasons is Brandon Huntley Hatfield, uh, who, you know, from Clarksville, Tennessee, he played at Scotland prep uh, before he came to Tennessee. I think, I think wherever he transfers to now, Gene, if I remember right, is going to be his sixth school in six years because he transferred a lot in high school too. Um, but he stayed at Tennessee for one year, and he is. It was it was rumored that he was going to transfer, and then it came out as a report that he was transferring, and then he himself announced it, uh, addressed Smoky Dog Nation in his, his his tweet message, which I thought was interesting uh, when he made his message that he's transferring. But the six ten two forty six pound freshman forward is going somewhere else don't know where that somewhere else is going to be yet there's been a lot of talk about georgetown a lot of talk about auburn a lot of talk about uh, if there's a third school i'm trying to remember now but there's been three or four schools that have been kind of thrown around there for kind of the big ones for him but gene there's i don't even know where to start because there's a lot to kind of unpack with this i i went back from the moment i was first hearing the rumors and i, I texted you about it uh but you were in atlanta so i mean you were you were very busy so i you know 
I, I didn't expect you to have information on there about a text you because you and I had talked about Brandon Huntley Hatfield a lot uh, since we've done this podcast. And for the moment I saw the rumors about it and was texting you about it, I, I went back to those earlier conversations we were having about what kind of player was Brandon going to be on this team? Because he had the build, his build at 6'10", 246, is that prototypical four, even kind of five, that you you know, would imagine would have success in the Rick Barnes offense and the Rick Barnes defense and, and the system that he runs. You look at, I mean, look what Grant, look at what Grant Williams is an undersized four. If Brendan Huntley Hatfield had, you know, the desire to play that type of position, that type of four, he really, really could have flourished in this offense because he's built, he's bigger than Grant Williams ever was and ever will be um, at, at that four position. But he didn't have that desire. And, and from what I heard from Chris Lowe of ESPN, who was on um, WNML this week, you know, there was a, a conversation had after the season with Huntley Hatfield and Rick Barnes and the coaching staff about his role at moving forward. You know, I assume they have those conversations with every, every player after the season. Um, but it seemed like he, from what Chris Lowe said, wanted to be more of kind of a, a three type position, be more used in the perimeter, maybe not as much in the post. And that led to a lot of reason why he decided to transfer. Cause that wasn't the role that Rick Barnes wanted him to play. And that wasn't the role that he felt, you know, Barnes and the staff felt that, he could better serve this team moving forward was that, you know, they wanted to be more of a four, a guy down low who could make some shots in the perimeter, but he wanted to be more of a three who was more wing oriented. And Gene, that brings you back to conversations we had about when he first committed and first, I guess, signed with Tennessee and reclassified because that was something you, I think you honed in on like immediately about him is, is he going to want to play the post position the way Rick Barnes wants him to play it? And it never seemed like he did really wanted to that much. And when he it seemed like the times that he bought in, he flashed some really good potential in some of those times with some of the aggressiveness on his rebounding and some of his ability in the post. But he settled way too many times for a fadeaway jumper, uh, for taking jump shots than he did for attacking the basket. And my question is, and you and I were kind of talking about this before we started recording, if that was, if that was his, if that was his idea all along of kind of what he wanted to be. I'm curious what the initial recruiting pitch and like what the continued recruiting pitch was for him. Cause I don't imagine that like, I don't know, Gene, cause I, I can't imagine Barnes and them changing that all, all, all of a sudden I mean, like, Hey, yeah, we'll, we'll use you as a three. We'll use you as a, as a guy who can kind of roam the perimeter unless they sold him as, as you kind of suggested to me, maybe they sold him as like an Eve Pons type where you, you play the four, but you can play the three and be a perimeter guy like, like Pons was he, he would, but he get used as a post, but he also, again, took a, a decent amount of three pointers at his time at Tennessee Maybe they sold him on that, but then maybe as the season went along, the needs adjusted. You had Olivia Camwell go down, and you needed a guy at the four there. I don't know. It, it just seems like to me, I I never really thought he was going to be a perimeter oriented four three hybrid. Like I thought he should like the way his, he's built and everything be more of a four. I don't know. I, I just I'm curious what the initial recruiting pitch was to him and what he was told coming in because either there was a disconnect or maybe he had hopes that things would change or maybe he was told I don't know if he was told something different maybe he misinterpreted like I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus I'm gen- like either side I'm genuinely just like wondering like what was the recruiting pitch and where's the disconnect because I I don't I just have a hard time imagining that he was sold on being this 3-4 hybrid when he has the build to be a a great four in a Rick Barnes system like I I don't know there, there's a lot to unpack here 
that's kind of where I want to start is your thoughts on it, because this is something you and I've talked about for months and months and months about what's his fit in this team, because he has the build and, and you know, the body type and whatnot to be a four, but does he have the mentality or the even desire to want to do that? And cl- clearly he did not. Right. And I think it, it, it's why, like the biggest difference was like, and one of the things like when, when people you know bring up like the, the Grant Williams types and kids like that, like the reason why Grant Williams had nothing in the way of offers was never that he wasn't a good basketball player is that he didn't fit the metrics. You know, he was six, six, what was he like two forty, Yeah. Or something like that when he first got to Tennessee. So you're looking at a kid who's, obviously very skilled, but if he was six, nine, he would have never got there. It's like, sometimes it's the difference between kids who in football, you know, end up going to the FCS level and they're extremely productive, you know, and you see like a kid like Chattanooga has a defensive end. Who's like six, two, two ninety, and has like 35 sacks in his career. So I don't, I don't remember exactly, but it's like some outlandish numbers and all like two time, all American. If that kid was six, five, two ninety, they would have never got him. So the metrics worked in Chattanooga's favor. Like, everybody else's loss is their gain. And so Grant didn't pass the eye test, much like Admiral didn't pass the eye test. You know, when that actually speaks to Rick Barnes' eye for, you know, being able to mold and develop players, but also that was a lot of those players just gained confidence in what they were doing. Like, they were just good basketball players who were given one shot to be elite somewhere. And the place that they got that shot at was in Knoxville. So fast forward a few years, I think I remember us talking about one time, like what is the ultimate plan for, what is the ultimate plan for, you know, Rick Barnes and recruiting? Because I don't understand. Like you made this, you know, and, and I asked that question because I just really needed to know. Like if you watch Brandon Huntley Hatfield play, like in AAU, if you watched him, this was a kid who lived out on the perimeter who shot jump shots all the time, who drove to the basket, who was six, I mean, 6'10", 240. That's part of what made him so elite was that he had great leaping ability. He was, he was strong. It's hard to stop 6'10", 250 going to the basket. That's essentially LeBron. And you get out, it's hard to stop, you know, LeBron when he gets a full head of steam, even at, you know, 38 years old or whatever he is now. And that's kind of what Huntley Hatfield probably fancies himself as. Is is that reality? Perhaps not. But try telling a kid who also cut his high school career short to start college in Knoxville that, oh, yeah, we know the player that you you fancied yourself to be for 15 years, 16, 17 years, whenever you first picked up a basketball. But no, we don't want you to be that. And we're in a day and age where basketball is getting, you know, where big men are transitioning further and further away from the basket. And so now you're trying to tell him to play what he probably feels is an antiquated style of playing basketball. Go post up and bang with guys about your size or bigger or the same size or a little bit smaller, but probably stronger. You know, go bang down there with those guys. But I'm not surprised that the kids in the portal, I've talked about it all year. Like, probably need to play this kid. You need this kid to be great for this roster. You need this kid to be good. I don't care about the ranking. I don't care about the five star. Once you get to college, nobody gives a damn about your ranking. 
it's used by recruiting sites who who write about college that talk about how good a, a player is, and it, it it doesn't speak to how good the actual player is once they get to college because now you actually have to prove what you are. So I don't care about the fact that the kid was a five star in high school. He's in college now. Doesn't matter if, if the kid had two stars and all of a sudden exceeded that. Are you going to keep bringing up he's a two star? No. So who cares? Just you know, he's a college basketball player. He got there. He fit. You know, he fits all the metrics to be good. It didn't work out, but it's not the least bit surprising. It's just. It's probably. Yeah, I guess it's a blow. Um, like if you look at, at you know the the history of of particular programs, it's not really a surprise. Um, AAU programs, it's not really a surprise. I mean, just look at there, there's a there's a pretty good history. Of, of of it not working out for kids at certain that, that come from certain programs, and they find a different place. And I, you know, I would assume, you know, those 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 programs have connections with certain schools. So I wouldn't be surprised if Brendan Huntley Hatfield ended up at Auburn next year. Pretty lateral move, and I mean that in a bad way. I mean he's going to SEC to SEC. Some of those kids from that you know from you know from you know from those programs have to take a step down, and then they thrive. So maybe that maybe Huntley Hatfield's second stop will be the place that he thrives at, which will hurt Tennessee fans. But also, what helps is that the second program, maybe he'll get a full dose of reality as to what he actually is as a basketball player. Because I don't, I don't think he's what he thinks he is for college, for college. But he spent a whole lot of time being in his mind Jabari Smith. And it's more likely that he's Walker Kessler. And I'm not saying that specifically because Auburn's one of the schools interested. That's just a perfect comparison because those two bigs are polar opposites in how they played, mm-hmm. but they were each effective in what they did. And so, like, it'll, I'll be, I will have an eye on where that kid ends up at. I mean, look, he, from, you know, I had a chance to talk to him and meet him last year in Gatlinburg at an AAU tournament. A nice kid, you know. Like, seems like he's, you know, he's a good kid, and he deserves success. And um, obviously, for Tennessee fans, it's unfortunate it's not going to come in Knoxville. You kind of hope that he gets out of the SEC, but you know, ever since the SEC changed that rule to where um, in-conference transfers are allowed now, there's no guarantee that's going to be the case. And, and so. If you're talking about a well-traveled kid who doesn't mind moving from place to place to place, um, there's certainly going to be a market for the kid, and we'll see where he ends up. But, I mean, if you've listened to our program, then this, is, this isn't really news. I mean, the stuff that Chris Lowe said is not really news if you've listened to this program because, you know, Nathaniel and I have talked about this ad nauseum uh, throughout the course of the year. It's just... You know, it stinks because it actually happened. You know, I was the crazy person out here on a on an island in November and talking about this kid, or back in the preseason talking about what is this kid going to be, and you know, maybe I had visions of what he was going to be that was probably similar to what Huntley Hatfield thought. He thought he was going to be Eve Ponds, um, but you know, he got there and the system changed, and you know, and things didn't work out for him. And maybe, I think you brought it up, maybe if Olivier had not gotten injured, um, 
he would have had a chance to, you know, to kind of have a much smaller role and develop into the sort of player that he envisions himself to be. But when, you know, when Olivia got hurt, you go, you know, he goes in there and you got to be a banger. And I don't think he liked that. It's, it's quite obvious he didn't like it. I mean, don't need to beat around the bush. He didn't like it or otherwise he would not have stayed. And, um, end of the year meetings are common. Mm-hmm. Usually, you know, coaches just talk to you about, you know, where, what, you know, how the year went, what do you think you can improve on? What do you see yourself being? Where do you see your role being? Just kind of just typical questions. They happen at the high school level. They happen at the college level. They happen everywhere. And that's usually when people, kids hop into the portal is, you know, soon after that. And, uh, so yeah, anyways, not surprised. Um, Tennessee fans, it's very unfortunate for you. Uh, They'll have to figure some stuff out because I think ultimately this reclassifying and going to college a year early, I mean, we didn't even mention Tomba, who's also in the portal, who also reclassified and graduated a year early, Mm -hmm. uh, graduated high school a year early. He's already in the portal. He never really made a ton of sense for what they were trying to do, although he's more of the prototypical big that Rick Barnes wanted. But that that he likes and prefers, and you know, like it doesn't really work out. It doesn't. Like I understand the the desire to hurry up and get to college, but you know, all these kids when they're making decisions need to be realistic about their decisions. And I understand. I completely understand the desire to bet on yourself. If you're a kid like Tom, but Huntley Hatfield was going to have options regardless. He was. He was. Yeah. Gonna, I mean, he could have picked yeah. this school regardless, but. Tampa, I don't think the market was going to necessarily be there for him. I mean, like, if you just look at the star ranking, how he played, more of a back-to-the-basket center, um, good player. I mean, good player. I just felt like his market was probably more of what some, what, say, uh, Quez Glover, his market was. And, obviously, he had a great year at Sanford this year, starting his career in Florida. You know, look at what Drew Pember did at UNC Asheville after spending a couple years um, in Knoxville. Um you can chase dreams, and sometimes it works out for you. But most of the time, as the, the transfer portal suggests, most of the time it's not going to work out in the way that you hoped. Yeah, there are a couple yeah. of points there I wanted to build off of and kind of talk about and then ask your opinion on something. But one of them was the, the uh, reclassifying part because that's – uh, Tennessee's had a few guys reclassify recently. I mean, it's been a thing that's happened in the past too, but recently for Rick Barnes that really the only one that's worked out was Ziegler, but he was a guy who yeah. he's not like, he's not young. Like he, I remember Mike Wilson of, of Knox news talking about this. Like he's, yeah, he reclassified, but he was already like, he was, I think he was supposed to be part of the 21 class initially. I can't remember what it was, but he, he's not like, he wasn't supposed to be like a high school. Yeah, he was. He was a twenty-one that was going to. Um, he was a he was a class of twenty twenty-one signee, if I recall, mm-hmm. that was going to go to a prep school to look for you know opportunities. And I think from what you know, the great piece that Mike Wilson of the Knoxville News Sentinel did on it, um, you know, I think he went to an AAU tournament and got seen at the last tournament of his you know season. Mm-hmm. And it's not uncommon for kids who are high school graduates. Um, are already done with their high school eligibility to play for AEU teams. It's quite common, to be honest. Um, and it obviously worked out for him. But his was a reclassified 
uh, up to yeah he he was he had actually reclassified back and then just reclassified back to reach the 2021 and I think he was gonna go to a prep school last year yeah right so he, he his was a different situation because I but looking at the actual reclassified people who at Tennessee's I guess signed and gotten over the last few years have actually all been bigs you know it's just kind of interesting that that's the case I, I wonder if there's a causation and and you know all that stuff that doesn't always it doesn't always correlate but I'm, I'm curious if it does correlate with with we've talked before about recruiting with big men and Rick Barnes. Anyway, uh, you look at DJ Burns, you look now at Tomba and Huntley Hatfield. Those are the three guys that come to my mind over the last, what, four recruiting cycles, I guess, for Tennessee who reclassified and, and joined Tennessee a year early um, than what they were, you know, originally intended to do. And none of those guys panned out. Uh, two of them redshirted and didn't play a single minute for Tennessee and, uh, transferred out, and then Huntley Hatfield played in, I think, every game this year and even started 13 of them, uh, but never never quite found his his footing at Tennessee and now is transferring out. So all three of those guys lasted a year or shorter at Tennessee and uh, ended up leaving before they, they really got substantial, well, two of them before they even played at all, and one of them before they really like got substantial meaning like super super meaningful because Henley Hatfield played some meaningful games and meaningful minutes and some big games for Tennessee um but you get what I'm saying like he he didn't he was never the big piece of this team that I think he hoped he could be and, and thought he would be but I, I that that kind of builds into a point you'd made it kind of goes into two things I want to talk about with the fan reaction to this and what happens if Huntley Hatfield goes and has success because the fan reaction to it was all over the place a lot of people you know Blaming the player, saying it's all Huntley Hatfield, but he doesn't have the attitude he, should, he needs to have. You know, he doesn't have the work ethic and all this different stuff, and throwing him on the bus. On the opposite end, you had people throwing Rick Barnes on the bus, saying this is an indictment on Rick Barnes, and he can't, he can't land the the big man. He, you know, he this is all his fault. You know, what, what you know, this is a big loss. Somewhere in the middle was where most of the reaction was happening, or at least discourse that I saw. I saw some actually pretty good actual civil conversations happening, which was nice. But there were all over the place, Gene, as you, I'm sure, I don't know if you, you probably saw it or not, but as you probably imagine, uh, reactions all over the place on, on this specific one, which is funny for a guy who, it's it's honestly because he was a five-star, and, and he wasn't even a bona fide five-star, like he was a high four-star on most services, I think he was a five-star on one or two of them, but still, like he had that five-star next to his name, if this had been, I don't know, like a middling four-star it wouldn't be as big of a, of a thing. Cause, but as you said, like your stars don't matter when you get to college. It just, it, it's what recruiting people think you're going to be in China based off your skill in high school. Regardless though, I think it's why it was more powerful for a guy who averaged like 14 minutes a game. Cause that's not usually, you're not usually, not usually having as much internet discourse as you were, as I saw uh, late last week, or I guess uh, whenever it happened, God, I, my timelines are all mixed up. I guess late last week and over the weekend. And even until this week, uh, over a guy who, you know, started 13 games and and played in 14, 15 minutes a game, unless you know there's a five star attached to that, to that player. But I'm curious your thoughts on it, Gene, because I don't. It's a situation where I'm not trying to place blame. Like I, I I'm just not a big blame person when it comes to these types of things. Like I understand if the player didn't feel like he was a fit and wanted something different. I also understand maybe the coach made a mistake. Like it, it, it both sides are at fault most of the time. Like there's very rarely where it's cut and dry and one side is completely at fault. Unless there's like a legal issue where someone gets arrested for something and it gets kicked off pretty clearly. That's a, that's a one-sided thing that they did that to mess up. And that's why they're no longer on the team. But when it comes to something like this, like 
there's a lot more nuance to it. And unfortunately, you know, social media doesn't allow for a lot of nuance. But again, I did see some pretty, you know, constructive conversations happening and I appreciated seeing that. But to me, Gene, what does it what does it say about Rick Barnes or about the staff or whatever if Brendan Huntley Hatfield goes to whether it's Auburn or Georgetown or, or wherever, with wherever whatever school he goes to next, as long as it's a, it's a power six school, not a smaller school, because I don't think it says you know a ton if he goes to you know an ECU or UNC Asheville and has success because that's totally different. But if he goes to a a similar school like Auburn or at least a school that's in the power six like Georgetown and has success, and success is I mean I guess it depends on how you define it. But let's go and say he averages like. I don't know, 10, 12 points a game, six, seven rebounds a game, and and has, you know, a, a pretty good shooting percentage from three or, or whatever. Just goes and has whatever you all define, here's listening to me, this as success. What, or how you define it too, Gene. What does that say about Barnes? Because I, I know, to me, I can already see it of where he goes, if he goes to Auburn or if he goes to Georgetown and he is doing a really good job, um, is putting up good numbers and is is having a successful season there everyone's going to, or not everyone, but a lot of people are going to want to say, look, you know, this is a obvious whiff by Rick Barnes. This is another recruiting miss where, you know, he's had recruiting successes, but he has had recruiting misses. He, that, I'm not going to, I'm not going to try and pretend like he's a his saint or anything like that, but I, I can already see it now with a lot of the people putting the blame on Rick Barnes saying, Oh, look at this. You know, you look at him having success. Cause they already, they already were trying to do that with um, DJ Burns, even though he's at Winthrop, which is a very different school than Tennessee. Um, in fact, we we saw the type of competition that Winthrop plays and what Tennessee did to all three teams that Tennessee played in that conference this year. So I should tell you what you need to know. Anyway, they, they were trying to do it with DJ Burns. They, to a much lesser extent, but I did see some people try to say it about Drew Pember. Um, but what when what in your mind, Gene, does it say about or does it say anything about Rick Barnes or Brendan Huntley Hatfield or whatever if he goes and have success? Because I. I I don't. I just don't think it's cut and dry that if he goes and has success somewhere like at Auburn or a big time school, that it's automatically a super huge demerit against Rick Barnes. Because maybe he, that's maybe the move to another school is what he needed to, from an adjustment like attitude, mental perspective. Like you had said, uh, you, I think you basically said it. Like you know, maybe this is the the catalyst for him to get a perspective change. So maybe he needs a fresh slate. I like. I I don't know that it really is the indictment on Barnes that some people will try to make it out to be if he goes and has a, as a success, but maybe people will paint me as a, a Barnes lover or an optimist by saying that. Cause I don't know. I, I just, I don't, I just don't think it does. Cause maybe this is exactly what, what Brandon Huntley Hatfield needs to go have success is to go change, just change scenery, change somewhere, find the right system. You thought this was going to be the right system for you, but it wasn't. So it, to me, it's all about fits and systems. You can be a, the most talented player in the world, but you're in, if you're not in the right system and not in the, the coaching environment that, is best suited for you you're not gonna have success it's all about fits to go back to jason swain he said that so many times uh, from being coached by philip former too it is all about fits um and, and it's not just because you have the talent doesn't mean you're gonna work in the system so all of that gene trying to condense it down to the the fan reaction of it and and your thoughts on does it say anything or what does it say if if he does go to a big time program and ends up having you know, quote unquote success there is, is it a big indictment against Barnes or just your opinion on that? I see that this is an interesting conversation because I think the answer to the question is yes on both. I Hmm. think it's an indictment of both sides, but maybe not for the reason that people 
you know, want. Everybody wants their pound of flesh right now and trying to figure this thing out. Um, when you re- like, when you're in the recruiting process, quite possibly, the biggest thing that you have to do when you're recruiting is to really understand the psyche of the players that you're getting. You know, like I think if people listen to this program, I'm not a hater of like I, I mean I didn't say it by name the first time, but I'll say it. I'm not a hater of the Bobby Mays AAU program. Let's be clear. Um, but there is a certain sort of cult following that comes along with playing for that program, and like those kids are essentially like they're rock stars. And I don't say that necessarily in a bad way. It it actually speaks to what he's been able to create. But I'm going to list, I'm going to list a handful of names. Um, Y'all remember Quante Glover, I mean, Glover, uh, Quante Berry, who is, you know, obviously is close with BJ Edwards. They played together. Um, Quante Berry, uh, Quante Berry's older brother, Norrence is at Rhode Island. He's in the transfer portal. Um, Quez Glover starts his career at Florida, transfer portal. Goes to Sanford, really good, really good player. Drew Pember, transfer portal. Goes to UNC Asheville, he's a really good player. Um, I guess the difference would be, would, would be Jaden Springer because he was just kind of one and done. Um, Brendan Huntley Hatfield, transfer portal. Tomba, transfer portal. There's. There is something to be said about trying to figure out what is the best, what is the psyche of the kid you're getting. Like anybody that followed recruiting knew that Huntley Hatfield was a kid who spent his entire life out, you know, playing basketball out on the perimeter. He was not a big. He did not consider himself a big. He did not fancy himself as a big. So it was always going to be a hard sell to convince this kid in one year, which is essentially what you have nowadays in college basketball, one year to convince this kid who has spent his entire life being essentially catered to because he played for this kind of cultish AAU program. Um, in one year, now this is what you're going to be. You're going to be a post player. You're going to play with your back to the basket. Like, again, look over the years. I'm going to throw up another handful of names I'm going to throw at people. Um, wow, this is – I'm just looking here. Like, not everybody's going to be your Kyle Alexander kid. That was a three-star kid who came in, worked hard, had a really good career. But if you look at all the bigs that have come through Tennessee, who was the last one to really stick? You got Grant. That worked. Keep going, though. John Fulkerson. Two in seven years. Has it been, hasn't it been seven years? Something like that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so two kids have stuck. Like, truly stuck and been productive, have productive careers in seven years. Like... Again, I don't know this stuff in circles. I don't really spend a lot of time talking to coaches when I'm going to AAU tournaments. I just go to watch. I go to support my child, his senior, well, well, will be a senior next year. I go to support him, and that's it. I'm not out here 
talking and analyzing. But I would imagine that it's going to only become exponentially harder for players to want to go Tennessee. Because the two that, I mean, three have essentially had good careers. I said two, but I didn't count, you know, I didn't count Grant Williams. So Grant Williams, Kyle Alexander, um, John Fulkerson. Three in seven years. And look, that's a hard position to really figure that out anyway. It's a hard position to figure out, you know, to, you know, to really get kids in this day and age. And it gets easier for kids. If you look at the Kerry Blackshirts of the world, people felt like Walker Kessler was, had a good chance of coming out of high school. He didn't go. When he transferred, they thought he had a good chance. He did. He went to Auburn. You know, two chances, and they didn't get the kid. So, like, to me, that's, so when I say I feel like some, some of the blame goes on both sides, it's because as a coach, I feel like you need to know the type of player – the psyche of the type of player who is going to succeed in your program. Just like if you're the type of, if you're a kid, you have to understand the type of coach that Rick Barnes is and the type of system that Rick Barnes is going to run. It's not going to feature you. I'm going to tell you right now, incoming freshman post player, you're not Grant Williams. Those kids don't just come like that. Success does not come immediately grant was productive from from the moment he got there but that's a that's a kid who grew up being a post player he had no choice but to be a post player because he was too slow to be a guard and i don't say that in a bad way it's just being real i'm just saying when you're six foot when you're six six two sixty or six six two forty whatever he was guess what you're not going to be out there checking jordan bone in games more often than not you're going to be down there like you're having to grind because you weren't really provided the opportunities that the Brandon Huntley Hatfields received. A Huntley Hatfield who can just basically fall out of bed and have 15 offers. One dunk in a basketball game, and all of a sudden that kid's got five offers. That kid goes to an AAU tournament and looks, and all he sees is head coaches, not even assistants. To show how serious they are, you're seeing the head coaches sitting out there watching you, wanting to evaluate you. But you look and you see Tennessee. You look and you see Auburn. You look and you see Wake Forest. You look and you see whatever the school is. Because Wake Forest, that's a team that I would keep an eye on too. Like just, I mean, pro, know the program, understand who the head coach is at Wake Forest, and understand that why, that, why I mentioned that. So, like you look and you, you see all of that stuff out there, all of this love that you're receiving. Grant didn't have that. Grant played in those afternoon games. There may have been three coaches sitting there watching on a Saturday afternoon, kind of analyzing them. They're watching the other kids on the team. Grant has to do great things just to be noticed. They're not coming to watch him. And he got a chance. Admiral Schofield. They're not coming to watch him. You got to go out there and figure something out. And he got a chance, and he obviously throbbed in that. These kids, like Huntley Hatfield, you know, he had every place in the country. He chose Tennessee. There's a different mentality that comes with that. Like I'm coming to you. What are you going to do for me? And in that first year, 
he got the start. Had some good games against some of the mid-majors. Probably had a couple good games. I don't really remember. Probably had a couple good games against some high majors, some SEC teams. Mm-hmm. And, but if you're not playing the way, especially when you're looking around and seeing Jabari Smith, you're looking around and seeing uh, Ben Carroll. These are guys who are about your same size. So it's not it's it's not about you can't do that, kid. It's let me show you I can't do it before you just tell me I can't. Let me prove to you I can't. Because guess what? Maybe I can do those same things that Ben Carroll did. Maybe I can do those same things that Jabari Smith did. Che, you know, Holmgren, that's a different animal entirely. Yeah. Um, like this is a big man draft. It's a tall man draft, may not, maybe not a big man draft, but it's certainly a tall man draft where three of the names that you will get talked about, I mean, you'll get to a guard because some, there'll be a program that needs a guard. And the Orlando Magic, they stink. You know, the Houston Rockets, they stink, but they've got Jalen Green. Um, Orlando, they stink, but they've got the kid from Gonzaga who's a point guard, and they got Cole Anthony, so they need big. So, like, this is a perfect draft for programs like that who just need a big. So, like, if you're Huntley Hatfield, you're looking around, you're like, why can't I be those guys? Why can't I get the opportunities those other kids are getting? And so that's why I say, like, I think some of the some of the blame falls on both. Because, yeah, you're looking and like, man, you've got you've to gotta have a full evaluation of this kid's psyche. Are you telling this kid in the recruiting process, that player you are in AAU, you're done with that? Because here's the difference. I watched Adu's film too. I watched Adu's tape when he signed. I said the same thing about him. That kid got in. That kid got acclimated. Didn't have an offensive game yet. But he he surely played some defense, and that's probably his best thing. But I think he's he's a different type of player than Huntley Hatfield, and it's 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 a different style. Like, I think Adu, the way he played in high, in high school was catch and shoot some threes. Catch, shoot some threes. But he was probably equally adept. Just, you know, he didn't mind going down there. Only Hatfield wasn't going down there and, the, and getting beat around and all that stuff. He had the ball in his hands. Like, you, I mean, scouting reports, like, scouting, high school scouting report on Brandon Huntley Hatfield. Comparison, Julius Randle. When was the last time you saw Julius Randle post up? You know, has a quintessential power for a body with length. This is from Jerry Meyer, 24-7, great dude, director of basketball scout. Has a quintessential power for a body with length, strength, and density. Power-based athlete, high-level body control for a player his size. Can score from all three levels. Very comfortable with the ball. Has functional ball handling skills that produce buckets and scoring range. Can get to the basket efficiently. Loves to go left as a righty. His ability to dominate his area as a rebounder, improving as a defender, is a proper area of focus. Like, there's not a lot there that suggests, hey, man, I'll go down there and bang. He wants the ball in his hands. He thinks he's Ben Carroll. Yeah, that's, about, that's about the same size, too. If I had to guess, they're probably about the same size. I'm curious. So I just that. think, that, yeah, I, there's not. I think Ben Carroll's like six nine two fifty in that range. I know he's a big body guy, and so that's and that's that's the hard 
that's the harsh reality of college basketball in this you know in this day and age where you know you think that you've got a kid you know and you think you may have him for multiple years you think that he's a good fit for what you want to do but you've got to convince that kid that what you want to do is what he's best at yeah and uh, i don't think that was ever the case yeah, uh, to your to your point, Ben Caro is listed on Duke's website as as six two two fifty, so like basically the exact same size. <laughs> yeah, so that's what the, that's what. So I'm if I'm him and I'm looking at what he just did, I'm looking at what Ben Caro just did. You know, help help lead a team that's probably the leading scorer of a team that went to the Final Four, and will lie and will be a lottery pick. I don't know if it'll be one, two, four, five, seven, whatever. I question his motor. I don't think he's got a great motor either, but he's a great player. And you take chances on great players. A player that size falls from two to six. He doesn't fall from like three to 17. So he'll still be a hot pick. We can figure out the motor thing. We can figure out some other stuff. Man, you see that jump shot he just made? You see how he got to the basket and dunked on that Carolina guy? Oh, yeah, we need that. And so, and that's, and so I think that's where the challenge comes going forward. Like, you know, getting the guys who have the high star rankings is good, but it seems to me like maybe go get those five star guards because they can look, you know, you, you know, those, all those guys, those four, those five star guys, you get, um, I'll even add Josiah into this. You get Josiah, look at how he's thrived. Mm-hmm. You get uh, Springer and Johnson, look how they've thrived. Um, this year you get what's his face, uh, Kenny Chandler. See how he's thrived. You get these kids and you see how they've thrived. Like you're going to continue, you know, continuously get more and more kids. Watch watch BJ Edwards thrive alongside Ziegler next year. And I do think, and I think to be fair, you know, full disclosure, I, everything I said about Bobby Mays' program, I think Edwards is more of a Grant Williams type. I do. I think that's a kid who wants to come in and grind. I think that kid's going to work, come in and work his tail off and be a great player. I just do. I think that everything in that kid suggests that he just wants to go be a great basketball player. And he's not wrapped up in all this, the glitz and glamour and glory of just playing um, high school AAU basketball. That's a kid that wants to win. And you put him alongside Ziegler, another kid who wants to win, and I don't see that guard position, especially if Vescovy comes back, which we all assume – Josiah comes back, which we all assume. You get all those kids back, all of a sudden you've got a pretty dynamic group. And then, look, maybe you just need a, a, a fifth guy who's just willing to just play a role. I mean, Olivier, willing to play a role. Euros, play a role. Like, you just need a fifth guy to play a role. That's all you really need. Go guard heavy. Find another guy in the 6'6 six, six to 6'8 six, range that could be, you know, uh, kind of a clone of Josiah. And all of a sudden you look up, you've got, you only need eight. All you really need is eight. Mm-hmm. So you go get eight. Figure out your eight. I don't know who those are. Obviously, like I said, we, we, I just mentioned a handful of them. How's, you know, Olivier when he comes back? All you need is eight. You need 13 on the roster. Scholarship, guys. You got 13. But you really need like eight or nine that you feel good about. And... Like, you just have to figure out because it just has not been the level – there just hasn't been the success with Tennessee 
and Bix because I feel like there's two separate schools of thought there. There's going and getting the best players, which I completely understand. Go get the go get the best player for your position, but at some point you're going to quit getting those players because you look around and it's like these kids aren't coming in and producing. And if they go elsewhere, like I'm not counting DJ Burns. Yeah. I'm not counting that. I'm not counting DJ Burns. I'm not counting Drew Pember. I'm not counting those guys. Those are different guys. Like those are guys, like the one you have to be concerned about is I doubt Tom makes a lateral move. I I do. Because A, you don't have any tape. No film of you. So like it almost would have made more sense for him to stay next year and maybe it doesn't work out. But there's no tape of him playing in high school. It just isn't. And so he, you know, so he, I mean, I'm sorry, there's no tape of him playing in college. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? Like, what is your move going to be? Where's your market going to be? It's going to be mid-majors or whatever. So he doesn't really count. The Huntley Hatfield, you got some tape on him. You've got high school tape of him playing one way. You've got college of him playing another. So what does that turn into? It's like you hope and pray that that kid doesn't have success. Well, yeah, I mean, I do. I want kids to have success in college because that's what it's about. Uh, but if you're a fan of Tennessee, then you have to like hold your breath and hope and pray that that kid does not have success in college at his next school. Because if he goes and thrives, because he's going to make a lateral move in terms of like power five to power five. Um, I can make an argument that it's, we're, we're actually more in like a seven or eight league. We're in, a, in college basketball, it's more about seven or eight leagues. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, you've got the SEC, you've got the ACC. Uh, you've got the Big Ten, you've got the Big 12, what's, what's left of it, um, and you've got the Pac-12, which is a very powerful league in basketball. Mm-hmm. But you also have, like, the A-10, which, you know, had the number one team in the country just two years ago, right before COVID in Dayton. Um, you've got the American, you know, which has had which had Houston this past year, although Houston's going to the Big 12, so forget that, mark it out. Um, and then you have the Big East, which is synonymous with basketball. So you got about seven leagues. That, again, I do think that now the American is about weekend, and um, so you got about seven leagues. So, if, so say Huntley Hatfield goes to Xavier. I don't really consider that much of a step down. Yeah. Um, if he goes now, if he goes to say, yeah, I mean East Carolina, that's a step down. It just is. Like, the school you go to matters, too. Mm-hmm. Like, the conference matters, but the school matters. Mm-hmm. Like, is it is it nice to say you're playing in the SEC if you're playing for, with apologies to them, South Carolina? <laughs> apologies to the – I mean, but that's – But you're right, though. That's yeah. not even that's – that's going to be a struggle for that program this year. So maybe you go out and you look a certain way, but your team stinks. It's going to take a year or two for that team to get figured out because half their team is already in the portal, and I have not seen him pick up a kid yet. And I and I kind of keep an eye on what on South I mean on South Carolina recruiting for obvious reasons, right? Um, but going to a Tennessee, you know, transferring into a Tennessee now that matters. Getting an offer from Tennessee matters, but if you're going to if you're going to be on that coaching staff and you're trying to figure out what's the best what's the best uh, for that program, then you have to really decide, Is it do I need to go recruit stars or do I need to recruit fit? 
and it seems like when Tennessee was most successful with its interior guys was when they got undersized post players, undersized guys who were just grinders. And your guards can be stars. That's also college basketball, though. Basketball in general. Your guards are stars. They are. Mm-hmm. And everybody else is kind of fill, you know, fills in into a gap, fills into a role. You've got like a Justin Powell who can hit shots. I, I, you know, I wouldn't give up on him yet. You've got other guys that can do certain things. Your bigs just need to be grinders. Because, I mean, yeah, you may have a moment. John Fulkerson may have a moment when you don't have anybody else on the roster. He may have a month or so when you literally don't have anybody, you know, on the roster that can do much of anything at that point. Um, but when you had good players around him, he had moments. Mm-hmm. He still had moments. Like the Arizona game, it's you know, people will always talk about that Arizona game. Where he basically killed everybody with one move. Which is amazing to me. Like it's it's amazing when you can be dominant and you don't even have two moves. Yep. <laughs> and he completely killed Arizona with that drop to the basket, that spin and that little that little floater. Killed him. And so Figure out. I mean, it just seems like you have to figure out exactly what's the best, what is best for you, um, if you're the coaching staff. And again, if you're the if you're the kid, if you're the kid himself, like don't fall in love with the offer. And you gotta figure, you gotta have people in your ear telling you what is the best fit for you. Like, do you think that you'll be happy in a program where you're being asked to post up eighty percent of the time? And just when you and you can sit there and try to convince yourself that I'll be the one that's different. He'll He'll let me play this way. But year after year after year, that proves to not be true. So uh, it'll be an interesting situation to watch going forward because I don't know what the end game is. I don't know if you're if you're if you're suddenly have Phil what your next stop is. Um, I don't have a clue. We'll see. But I know there's going to be a lot of fans that are waiting kind of nervously. Because this is the first kid that they've lost that's really made. I mean, I don't count Derek Walker. No disrespect to the kid, but I don't count him going. I mean, and look, if if you want to count Derek Walker, so be it. He was in Nebraska. It didn't work out that well for him. But this will be the kid. They'll be, this will be the first kid that you watch transfer somewhere else where you're like you literally have alerts on game to game, game to game his performances. Because you don't want to see. Because if you want to see, like, you know, a portion of your recruiting dip, let Huntley Hatfield go to the next school and have a ton of success. Because mm-hmm. uh, that'll hurt. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree with your point on saying that it it kind of is yes to both questions. But I, I think that the last point you made was very uh, poignant, that you – you want to hope the best for the kid, but at the same time, like uh, for Tennessee's sake, you kind of don't want him to have success, or at least, or at least not go and like ball out. Like if he has some success, it's different. But if he goes and like balls out and is like a first team All SEC player at Auburn, like that's a totally different story. Um, really quickly, just to build off your point about what matters where you go, I, I was curious. I looked up the conference rankings for this past season for um, uh, on Ken Palm. You had the Big Twelve. This is one through ten. Uh, there's there. By the way, there's 32 conferences now in Division One basketball. That's just a ton. Uh, but you have the, the top ten that he had was Big Twelve, SEC, Big Ten, Big East, AAC, excuse me, ACC, which is fifth, which is very low for them. 
Pac-12. So those are kind of your, your main six right there usually is is the Power 5 yeah. and football and then the Big East. And then you had Mountain West, yeah. the AAC, the West Coast Conference, and the A-10. So those are your – like those are you're usually your best – those are typically your best uh, Power 5 – or excuse me, group of five conferences with the Missouri Valley coming in 11th. And they're, they're it's usually – Missouri Valley is, is sometimes in the top 10 overall too. So those are usually your kind of next best like mid-major conferences are the – uh, Mountain West, AAC, West Coast, A10, and Missouri Valley. So just to give everyone kind of context on that, like it, it really does matter where you go. It matters what schools you go to in the conference. Like like Gene said, like if you go to the SEC, but you go to a South Carolina or an Ole Miss, that's not the same as going to the SEC and going to a Kentucky or an LSU or a Tennessee or Arkansas. Like that's it's different. If you go to if you go to the Big East and uh, you go to I'm, I'm trying I'm just pull up a list of teams. If you go to the Big East and you go to a Villanova or a Providence or a Connecticut, that's different than going to a DePaul or Saint Saint Bonaventure. Yeah, yeah, Saint yeah. Bonaventure too. That's another one that. Like, but I mean, typically, like historically, I would say Georgetown, but Georgetown's been bad over the last few years. Like, if they like Brandon Murray, which I think is a good segue into looking at kind of what Tennessee's looking at to replace some of these transfers. Brandon Murray, who Tennessee was targeting, who we last time we talked about Gene, we said we would know Monday uh, whether you know where he's going. And if I know it is Georgetown, uh, which may seem on the surface like a weird choice, but when you look a little bit deeper. You kind of understand a couple of reasons why. Uh, one of them was because former LSU assistant, uh, oh gosh, let's try his first first name. I think it's John, but last name was Nickelberry. Uh, he was an assistant at LSU. I think with the primary recruiter for Brandon Murray that got him to LSU. He is now uh, with Patrick Ewing as uh, Ewing's kind of last ditch effort to save his job at Georgetown. And you know, more or less, Murray followed him up to Georgetown. He also mentioned Gene, which I think is interesting that he wanted to kind of help do uh, get bring georgetown back kind of help them rebuild or whatever i can't remember the exact wording now he said but i thought that that was weird because i understand the desire to do that because georgetown at one point was a really really good school in basketball um but if he's going to do it it might be with unless they get a lot done this year it might be with a different coach because um i don't think patrick ewing i think he's got one more year, one more year left in him to turn things around at georgetown before he's canned I, I cannot imagine them keeping him one more year if they have another losing season this year i mean this year was a disaster six and 25 but even if they go like what like 12 and 18 or something next year like i, I can't imagine them holding on to to patrick going after that but regardless the brandon murray's off the table for tennessee really you're looking at right now looking at the departures team we talked extensively about brandon huntley hatfield who has a lot of potential but potential means nothing if you can't cash in on it there, there there's a i saw a great quote from I don't know who it was, but someone on a, on a message board for Tennessee that said something about the potential hall of fame is so much bigger than the actual hall of fame. And it's true. Like Tennessee has had in football, especially had so many potential like hall of fame, potential players that just never panned out for one reason or the other. Bryce Brown is one of the guys I always think of who is in the potential hall of fame, but not the actual hall of fame because his potential at Tennessee was sky high and it just never worked out. Um, but you're looking at, Right now, Huntley Hatfield fits a little bit more into that potential Hall of Fame than he does any other sort of Hall of Fame, but he he has the potential. Can he cash in on it? Can he tap into it and unlock it at his next stop is the next question. He's kind of the biggest X factor and the biggest unexpected departure for Tennessee because you look at who they've lost right now. and I, I, At this point, I don't expect Tennessee to lose anyone else um, via transfer portal or anything like that. 
but you're looking at who they lost. The two expected ones were Kennedy Chandler, your leading scorer, leading assist guy, your, your, your most talented player from this last year, going to the draft. Not a surprise. John Fulkerson uh, finally graduated. So again, not a surprise. Uh, he doesn't have another COVID year. He can cash in. So he, he's gone after his 29th season at Tennessee. Those are your two your two biggest losses and your two ones you expected the most to, to leave this year. One, definitely. And then the other one, you pretty much felt the entire season. He's, he's only going to be here for one year, and he is. So you lose those two. Everyone else you lost has been bench players. Because Huntley Hatfield, he started, but he didn't play. Even when he started, he didn't play starter minutes. He was playing 10, 12, 14 minutes a game, even as a starter. But he's your biggest bench loss. He, he, he He's a guy transferred. You also had Victor Bailey Jr., who was great in his first year of eligibility at Tennessee, but had a massive step back this year. And again, where you transfer matters, and it showed where he transferred kind of, I mean, again, he followed a Tennessee assistant to there, but still, where you transfer matters, and he goes to George Mason. And then you also lose Quentin DeBonje, who was a, a reserve, who I, I think maybe if they passed legislation for the the new like changing the tra- changing the redshirt rules for basketball, he would qualify. But again, that hasn't been passed. And again, he ended up transferring anyway. And then Andre Tomba, who didn't play a single minute for Tennessee this past year. All those guys are replaceable, Gene. Like, in a lot of – well, not all of them. I guess Kenny Chandler is. But all the ones who transferred are replaceable is what I'm trying to say. Fulgerson's replaceable too. Um, not from a, um, a heart and, you know, fan love perspective, but from what he brought to you on the court the past couple of seasons perspective. Tennessee is looking at really kind of from what I've been able to gather, there's like four or five names that, that are floating around with Tennessee right now on the recruiting front. There's Julian Phillips. We talked about last week, former LSU signee who again, being tied to Georgetown is one of the options in Illinois uh, because or not Illinois, that was Brandon Murray uh, being tied to Georgetown because again, that's what Nickelberry is. Um, but he's also a guy who's being recruited by a lot of different schools, but Tennessee feels like they're in a really good spot with him, but again, doesn't mean anything. Um, I don't know when, I don't know there's a decision incoming for him anytime soon. And then, uh, Renault, which I, again, don't know if I'm saying his last name right, but he's a, the former Florida commit who is a, both these guys are six, eight kind of 200, 210 pound type of, of forwards. And then you have in the transfer portal, the biggest name that Tennessee is tied to, or the one that they really have a chance with is Tyreek key. Who's an Indiana, Indiana state transfer who, uh, sat out this past year cause he had uh, shoulder surgery but before that was a really good kind of combo guard for Indiana State. Um, actually, played. I looked up his stat stuff too. Played well against uh, Power Five, Power Six competition when he played. He also played, you know, against Loyola Chicago and stuff in that that conference too, um, with Indiana State. But he's a guy who, at one point in his career, his second season, I think like hit forty four percent of his threes, thirty eight, thirty nine percent his second year, and that's where he started getting shoulder issues, and it dropped off to about thirty two percent in his fourth year there. And then again, sat out last year with a shoulder. And, or shoulder surgery, excuse me. And that was a guy who, he entered the transfer portal once before, and Tennessee showed a lot of interest in him, and he decided to stay at Indiana State. So there's already a, a connection there. Tennessee had pursuing him once. And then there's a couple other names. Uh, Nigel Pack is another one who is a point guard out of Utah State. Uh, Tennessee is interested there, I think. I, I don't know. There's a, I just don't know about how big of a mutual interest there is. There, there's talk about him potentially coming and visiting Tennessee. Um We'll see if it happens. I hope it does for Tennessee's case because he's <clears throat> seems to be very talented. Um, but I, I, I feel like there are other suitors that are in a better position than Tennessee right now. And another name that I feel like I can mention because it's been mentioned off off of just paid sites. I don't want to step on anybody's toes and 
offer up, you know, free info on stuff that is on a paid website, but I've seen it enough now on other, you know, online, like on Twitter and things like that on enough, you know, non-paid sites that I don't feel like I'm, I'm stepping on anyone's toes mentioning it now, but a guy who's not actually in the transfer portal, but has put his name up for NBA draft consideration, who very likely will not stay in the NBA draft and will pull his name out. And it seems like the, the thought is that when he does, there's a good chance he transfers or puts his name in the transfer portal is St. Louis point guard, Yuri Collins, who is a uh, really like, I think he led the country in assists this year. Uh, if he didn't, he was in top 10. Um, a guy who has a very high assist total in his time at St. Louis as well. So Gene, all of those names to me, it looks like right now. And again, the transfer portal is just now getting heated up and, and just now like people are still putting the name in the transfer portal. Like as of today, I saw three or four more names get thrown in, into the transfer portal. It's like, it's going to be happening, you know, over the next few weeks, there's still going to be new names thrown in there. Uh, so all the guys that are in there right now, aren't all the guys who are going to be in there. There's still going to be new ones popping in, but it seems to me that the, the plan looks like for a, I don't want to say big man. Cause the two guys they're targeting and recruiting aren't big men. They're six, eight, but they're two ten. The tall guys, I guess, for lack of a better term, Gene, are, are Tennessee's are targeting and recruiting. It's the in, in the transfer portal are targeting more combo guards slash point guards, which I think makes sense because you have two young point guards next year um, who you would like to not have to hand the hand over the offense to completely in or just the, the team, I guess, whatever system over to completely in Ziegler and BJ Edwards. You felt better about it with Chandler because. And he's just a, he's a great talent. I think you feel fine doing it with Edwards and, and uh, Ziegler, but you'd also like to have a change of pace a little bit. Edwards is a nice 6'3". He's, he's bigger than Kenny Chandler. But I think if you can get an experienced point guard, like someone like a Yuri Collins or a Tyreek Key as a, as a combo guard, that makes a lot of sense to me um, to get someone like that. Because you also look at the post and you have some return. Like, I, I think it'd be fine to get, I, I would love Tennessee to go target a, a transfer post player, but you already have, assuming he's healthy and stays healthy, Olivier Camois, I think, was taking steps and showing progress this year. I, I think with another offseason under him and getting healthy, I'll be really interested to see what he does next year for Tennessee. You have him as your, your starting four, maybe starting five, depending on if you have small ball. Uh, you have Urosh as the backup there, and you have Jonas Adu, who I you know we saw flashes of what he could do defensively, especially, and I, I trust him to be able to take another step forward, and I think he has... Just like Hunter Hatfield, I think he has a lot of potential. So those are your your three guys in the post there. And I think it makes sense to go after a young guy because you have three, I think, solid options returning for Tennessee next year in the post. I, I, I again, am maybe not as high on the potential and potential for growth in the post as some people, but I understand the reasoning of going after a, a guy in the transfer portal at the guard position rather than going after a guy in the post, if you're just going to get one, maybe two guys from, from the transfer portal. Again, I, I don't know. Tennessee has more open spots than I was expecting. But the point is, Gene, like this team is, we talked about this briefly last episode. This team, I think, is still solid. Like, I, I don't think any of the the biggest blows were guys you were expecting to leave in Kenny Chandler and John Fulkerson. I don't think any of the other guys who've transferred are big enough blows that I'm feeling significantly different about this team than I than I was at the end of the year, unless they go out and they they don't add quality, you know, at least on paper from what we what we think from looking at the rankings and and stuff like that. Unless they don't go out and add quality replacements, then I would be concerned. But I, I think Tennessee's targeting enough quality replacements that even if they miss on one on two of those guys, even the backup options I think will be uh, serviceable enough to where this is still a top 
20-ish team next year. Again, we don't know. There's plenty of pieces left to be plugged in. But my point is that I think Tennessee's going to be fine, with even with this roster turnover again happening this year. Not, it's not quite as – I know it's, I guess, kind of on par from last year. You had – like three guys declare for the draft and what four transfers. And this year you've had one guy declare for the draft, one guy graduate and three transfers, four transfers. So pretty on par, actually. I got very almost close to being on par from last year too. So I know but the whole point is to kind of close it out. Gene is I'm not pushing the panic button. This is also not like Tennessee is the only team doing this. Like there's a, almost every team out there has had two, three transfers or, or, or more, uh, Right now, like this, Tennessee is not a, a, a outlier in college basketball right now in terms of transferring out of the program and, and looking at filling roster holes on your you know on your team for next year. Yeah, and like the decisions that'll be made. I mean, like there's still it's interesting because there's still a good a good amount of talent. Again, and once you figure out who the eight are, uh, you you right now kind of have three bigs that you feel pretty comfortable with. You've got five, six guards. Uh, we'll see what Edwards turns into. Obviously, Vescovy, Josiah. Um, oh, God, who am I forgetting? Uh, Ziegler. I gives you seven. That it, you know, and then, of course, the elephant in the room is Powell. Yep. And mm-hmm. that gets you to eight. If, he's, if he turns into a guy, then that gets you to eight players. Um, you know, so, like, the question is, like, figure that part out and and see how things go. And, yeah, like I understand, there's maybe a need to find some more experience at the guard position. But the last two seasons, they've basically had freshman point guard. Yep, and they filter it in. You know, Vescovy kind of gives you, uh, a, a, you know, Vescovy kind of makes it where you don't necessarily have to have, you know, a ton of experience there. I mean, I guess it it, it helps. Um, but the whole season is meant to build and build and build. So it doesn't matter if like you know. How much did the Villanova loss actually hurt Tennessee this year? Not much. You know, did it cost you a two seed? Whatever that discussion was about, perhaps, but it didn't matter. <laughs> you know, I mean, still end up with three, and we're still a really good team, and we're one of the hottest teams in the country going into the NCAA tournament. So, um, so yeah, like I understand the need to like filter in spots. You don't want to just go get nothing but freshmen. You've got yep. one already signed for next year and I, but um maybe it's a case of like a james daniel situation mm-hmm. where you just think that he could be another good piece there um but i mean like just hearing the words transfer portal sometimes it has such a negative connotation to it but i mean sometimes the kids that are right there within the portal some of them are wanting to um you know, they're mostly wanting to go somewhere and get a chance. I mean, you take out, you know, you take out LSU, you know, like that's that's the prime example of kids just wanting a chance to be seen. Yep. Because LSU knows it's not going anywhere, and McMahon is getting players. And he's getting players with, you know, and they have the understanding that, look, this is it. I mean, He's got a kid who's transferred in from Northwestern State. He's got two kids from Murray State. I don't know what else he's done recently. Those are just a couple of names that I saw and people I talked to recently about what he's trying to do there. Um, but a lot of those kids that are hopping in the transfer portal, those are kids who a lot of them want 
to be seen. They kind of want that chance. Um, so can you bring a kid in now who may have played at a mid-major level and, you know, tell him just come in, come off the bench? Is is that is that what you do? Like, I don't know. I mean, like, there's so many questions that come with these kids that are in the portal. That's why I'm like, it's so hard to really understand the psyche of the kids in recruiting. That's the, that's the most important part of it. Just understand the player that you're going after. Understand the player you're trying to get. Cause that's, you know, getting that is, you know, paramount to figuring out, um, I mean, to kind of building your team. Like it's not just the player. It's not just the star ranking. It's, who are we getting? Like, who is Nathaniel Rutherford, if I'm recruiting him? Who is he? Like, he's not a star ranking. Who is the player? I understand the star ranking, but who is the guy? And so, like, as these decisions have to be made, as these decisions are being made, I hope that that's, like, the most important part of what's being handled. Because, you know, we t- I know we were going to talk about this at a later podcast, but the culture starts with Josiah Jordan-James. And then you've got Vescovy. Yeah, Ziegler is like the, the fan favorite, but the culture starts with Josiah because that's the guy that was there when things were at their worst. Mm-hmm. You know, Vescovy came in after that and things started to improve a little bit and he had some good games, but people have seen all. They have seen the careers. And everybody falls in love with the story and the career and the greatest example of growth is in that kid. And so, like, how does how does anybody that comes in, how does that person mesh with Josiah? Well, that has to be a perfect fit, by no means. But he should have to approve of these kids coming to the program because, look, as close as the, as close as Tennessee's come. In the past, like, four or five years, I'm not talking about how far they went in the tournament. Those were good teams. The, the 2021 team was okay, but this this team this past year was really good. Like, he's come, you know, relatively close. And, again, even then, that 2021 team that lost to Oregon State, um, you know, if, if what's-his-face, the kid who's transferring yet again – Omar Payne, if that kid doesn't knock, you know, Fulkerson out with the elbow, maybe that's a different story. I don't know. Maybe that's a different story. And maybe maybe they're making a run in March. I don't know. Um, this past season, they had a team that was good enough. They lost to a team who, you know, struggled to figure out who they were early in the season, didn't figure it out till late, and unfortunately figured out at the right time you know, to make it all the way to the Sweet 16, which Michigan seemingly lives in. So if I'm Josiah, like, look, man, I'm here. I'm here for I'm here to win, you know, chips. So this is the situation. BJ's going to be one of our guys. Ziegler's going to be one of our guys. If Vescovy comes back, he's going to be one of our guys. I, Josiah Jordan-James, is going to be one of those guys. Can you filter with what we're trying to do here? Because if they do, then it doesn't matter. If Tyreek Key is the answer, that gives you a good-sized kid who can play. It, you know, I provide, I'm pretty certain. I, could, I think I can say with some certainty that that kid's not going back uh, to Indiana State. Uh, you don't do it twice. You don't keep putting your name in the portal and hopping out, in and out, in and out. I think he's out this time. So I think he's gone this time. 
So if they can figure out, you know, who the best fit is for this program, there's no reason to think that. I mean, they're, I think I've seen rankings. They're probably like 15, 20. Those way too early, right? Whatever, somewhere in that range. Um, and those rankings don't really matter. At no point during the regular season do those games matter. At no point. Like, it's just building how good your team is going to be. How good is your team? How connected is your team? And if that team's connected and talented, there's nothing that tells me that they can't be one of those little trendy picks again next season. Because as long as Rick Barnes is in Knoxville, the recruiting is going to suggest that Tennessee's going to be a trendy pick. I understand the March stuff, and it is what it is, but they'll continue to be a trendy pick to win a championship. Well, Gene, I could – we've already talked for almost an hour and a half, and I feel like I could talk for even longer, but I don't want to make this podcast episode too long uh, for our listeners. So I'll end it here um, sometime here soon. I think I mentioned it last episode. I'm definitely going to do a, a, a mailbag episode sometime soon because I, I want to get some questions from our listeners to kind of answer. And I think maybe, maybe the next one, but we've had so much to talk about. Now I'm afraid next time Gene we record, we'll have another – transfer out or transfer in or recruiting commitment that there's gonna be some big news that happens that i'm not gonna to want to do another mailback episode that soon because we'll have plenty to talk about so i mean heck even next episode some of the stuff we talked about here I, I feel like we could build off of and have a whole episode about so we'll see how it goes but i don't want to make this too much longer but i think hopefully you guys enjoyed this one again let us know your thoughts on it whether it's on the twitter communities or you're coming on our facebook post or if it's on the youtube channel um, would love to know your thoughts on anything about Brendan Huntley Hatfield, anything about who Tennessee's pursuing, um, the way the roster could check out next year, or Josiah Jordan James and the cryptic tweet, or anything we talked about here. Uh, please let us know your thoughts. Would love to hear what you guys have to say. Signing off for Gene, I am Nathaniel, and this has been another episode of the Vault Basketball Fever Podcast. Thank you for listening to the Vol Basketball Fever Podcast. Make sure you subscribe to the show so you never miss a new episode. Subscribe to our YouTube channel for more video content and follow us on Twitter and Facebook as well. Thank you, Vol fans.